This is The Straight Dope, episode 38. I'm going to talk about riflecraft, hunting, and competition metrics. Now, I'm just musing. I'm going to be talking off the top of my head and pulling together concepts that I've discussed as an idea for bringing together a standardization method or technique so that we could determine maybe not your ultimate, but wrap our heads around the idea of ethical hunting because hunting always comes up. Why does hunting come up? Well, there's a lot of people who own rifles and like to hunt. And in the competitive shooting world, hunting gets brought up a lot. But I think it's pretty funny because like, I've participated in a lot of really obscure and bizarre activities in sports. Now, I've, I've competed and participated in big ones too. But shooting is or competitive shooting is the smallest sport that I have ever competed in. And I'm talking about like, I think shooting is micro. I think that the competitive shooting world is a few hundred people, not definitely not over a thousand, right? In graduate school, I competed a little bit in underwater hockey, which sounds pretty crazy, right? And in graduate school, there were some graduate students who were on the Argentina national team. And, and we're talking about competitions and participation globally that was still bigger than than competitive shooting, right? And, and most of you probably never heard of underwater hockey. And going out and playing ultimate uh, frisbee and having these competitions with tens of thousands of people, um, or even frisbee golf, you know, at, at, when I worked in a lab uh, doing research, people would come from all over the world and, and, and they all wanted a frisbee golf. So at lunch, we'd go play frisbee golf. And then they had these big tournaments and they were massive compared to uh, competitive shooting. So I think there's a, at least for me, there was a massive misconception on the amount of actual competitive shooters and what competitive shooting involved. And, 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 and uh, although that, that still blows my mind, it's, it's fascinating, fun, and rewarding, obviously, or we wouldn't have this podcast, but the amount of people that actually give a shit about competitive shooting is, is a kind of a, a minuscule portion of people that enjoy shooting and going out and measuring their shooting in other ways. So I want to talk about rifle craft with the perspective uh, of hunting. And and I think that this is really interesting, especially now that the hunting uh, series is, is growing and people are coming in and they're uh, participating in a division of the hunting league that isn't competitive and it's not scored that way so that they get familiar with and practice various scenarios with their equipment. Uh, shooting at, at targets that are the size of the kill zones of the animals they might go out and hunt in, and ways that we might think about using rifle craft towards um, f- towards our hunting goals. And 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 while a lot of hunters maybe they only shoot a box of ammo every couple of years, you know this definitely involves shooting more than that. But I think that there's some advantages to using this to prepare for your hunt, uh, especially when it comes down to. Uh, you know, harvestable meat or, or, or once in a lifetime hunts or, or hunts that people are spending a lot of time and money on. And just thinking about, you know, doing whatever you do better as something that's kind of a common theme in all human pursuits. So let's start with rifle craft. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you understand that it was developed as a kind of a generic and, and as few as possible shots to determine what your unknown position fundamental capabilities are and many people are very surprised that their their groups open up beyond what their expected level is and their point of impacts deviate from their point of aim a little bit because they haven't developed or put in the effort to develop their fundamental shooting capability uh, 
as much as maybe just buying expensive equipment or working on your hand load. So working on that improves hit percentage, and that hit percentage carries over to any discipline that you're going to shoot at, whether that's hunting, competitive shooting, law enforcement, military. Any, anything that you expect to hit with a target is going to improve as your fundamental knowledge of your shooting ability improves. And then you can start to tack on left and right limits in terms of what you would actually be able to do in various scenarios. So let's talk about a hunting scenario. And I'm going to use generic data. Uh, and I'm just going to pull this off the website right now. And I'm going to look and I'm going to say that um, we have a 3.8 inch measured from center, uh, putting in all the, the average shot, uh, 12 shot group from Riflecraft is 3.8 inches. And that's 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 not necessarily saying that if you lay down prone, those shooters won't have a tighter group than that. That's saying that in 12 shots from, uh, you know, three from standing, three from kneeling, three from seated, three from prone, shooters are going to have their shots fall within, you know, on average, they're going to have their shots fall within 3.8. Now, I'm going to round that up to four because it's easier to talk about. But think about this. If you took, if you went to a rifle range right now, and people had their rifles there. Now, Riflecraft shooters across the board care about their shooting more than, than your average rifle owner in terms of their ability to, to train and practice. I, I believe that. That might not be scientifically provable, but I think that if you care enough to log and test and enter targets, then your shooting ability is probably higher than average to begin with, but we're going to give people the benefit of the doubt and say that, uh, if you took a shooter and you had them shoot 12 rounds and they knew their equipment well enough and their ammo was decent enough, it's likely that the average shooter is going to shoot a four-inch group. And that might be a stretch, and I'm willing to say that, but but just for the sake of argument, we're going to say that, 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 um, that that's the case. So... If you're hunting and you're walking around and you're in shrub and brush, you may not be able to get a prone shot. You may not be even be able to get a kneeling shot. So depending on the equipment that you're doing this uh, test on, you're going to need to, to cater towards what you're actually carrying in the field. But if people are carrying sticks or a little bag or bipods or, or, or bipod extensions or even a tripod, uh, this, this becomes more in line with what you might actually be capable of doing out in the field. Now, if a shooter is able to shoot four inches at 100 yards, then we, it's pretty safe to say that they're probably going to be able to shoot eight inches at 200 yards and then maybe 12 inches at 300 yards. But now we've got environmental factors coming into play. So it's not unusual for people to talk about MOA as, as extending out in a linear fashion. But in reality, it's been pointed out, and, and, and I've definitely uh, confirmed uh, concur with the, with the idea that that people shot groups they don't stay linear with distance because environmental factors start to play and so do external ballistics. Now external ballistics typically, you know, aren't with the calibers that we're shooting aren't a big deal within hunting distances. From in my opinion, and when you start to see these extreme spreads and bullet, you know, all all this other garbage, you're starting to see them at, at, at extended distances. But I'm I'm thinking about hunting ranges, let's say inside of 800 yards. And, and, and I'll explain why I think of it inside of 800 yards uh, shortly. But inside of 800 yards, having extreme spreads uh, w within factory ammo tolerances 
aren't going to influence people's uh, shooting groups as much as the internet would like you to believe. Now, having said that, there are some factors that will play a big role in that. And, and one of those big factors is having accurate data for the density altitude that you'll be shooting in. And so having appropriate and good data for your ammo is going to be absolutely vital. And then a calculator that's able to make drop sheets for the specific conditions that you're in. But the big question out there is wind. A shooter's ability to assess and determine the wind speed takes a lot of work. It's one of those lifelong endeavors that's going to take a shooter forever and never be perfect at it. There's a lot of uh, tricks and tips and podcasts and books and threads and arguments taking place right now, and they'll probably continue to take place forever until we have Doppler lasers attached to our rifles to help people try to make educated wind guesses. Now, this is where the NRL Hunter really comes in because you don't have enough time to whip out your Kestrel, get a direction, get a compass bearing, pull out your windrows, and do all that stuff on the clock and still not time out before you take a shot. So being able to get a general idea of the wind speed using a Kestrel or using your cheek or your beard or however you're licking your finger, however you want to determine the wind speed, but it's a good idea, I think, to use technology to your advantage. But you get an idea about, you could look at a weather app beforehand. You could say, okay, look, the predicted gusts today are between 12 and 8 miles an hour. So uh, technology is going to likely allow you to have a general idea of the maximum, and uh, at least the maximum wind speeds that are predicted. And then it could go from there down to zero. But if you have a Kestrel with you, you could occasionally pop it up and say, okay, you know, this is consistent with that and it's coming from this direction. And, and you can start thinking about the wind in your head while you're going out. But what I'm trying to get at is that when you start layering in wind data on top of shooters' capabilities, those groups open up and they open up um, in a nonlinear manner. So I'm going to rewind a little bit and suggest that if you haven't listened to the wind number of your rifle episodes or how I think about that. I'm only going to briefly touch on it, but I have talked about it in a couple prior episodes. So you can dig back and try to find some wind concept stuff. And then the new view of ballistics idea, because I really think that picking calibers for a particular outlet, rather than looking at how flat it shoots in terms of your drop, I think a better way to look at it is its wind speed. Because the wind speed is the variable that's going to probably determine your hit percentage, not how much you have to dial up in elevation. Most people are using lasers to determine range. You can even use apps that can determine range for you uh, using GPS. And there's a lot of ways to get a fairly accurate distance to your target, but there isn't a way for you to get an accurate distance in terms of the wind speed between you and your target. So the, the better the wind speed number, the more likely you are to make an impact. Now, again, that's my opinion, but I really do think that thinking about ballistics in terms of wind speed and your gun number is better than thinking about drop and justifying how flat your rifle is because it doesn't matter really how flat it is uh, if you can't read the wind and you just miss right to the left or to the right of it. So thinking about gun number, let's say you have a five-mile-an-hour rifle. That, that means that at 500 yards, a tenth of uh, you know, if you measure a tenth in your reticle, that's going to relate to a mile an hour. So at 500 yards, right, one MOA is going to be roughly five inches. Don't nerd out on me and argue about decimals. 
right? I'm just going to say that, that, you know, we got five inches. So if the average shooter shoots four inches at 500 yards, they're not going to shoot uh, four inches. And the reason I say that is because there's going to be some kind of wind, and you can't really guess the wind sub one mile an hour. So uh, even in the, the, the Brian Litz books, he says that the, the pros can read wind to one mile an hour. So if the pros can read wind to one mile an hour, and that's a point that I would argue about, but we'll just say that, that you know, at, at the very greatest, a pro can read their wind to one mile an hour. One mile an hour at 500 yards is going to have a tenth of wind to that. So if the average shooter can shoot four inches, and they have a way, a capacity to read the wind to one mile an hour, then they'll shoot five inches, right? So one MOA for an average shooter, if they have the exact wind speed, it's theoretical that they could get their impacts onto a five-inch plate at 500 yards. If you have a 10-inch plate, right, now you have an additional five miles an hour. So now you're talking about basically six miles an hour budget. So if the wind is between one right, or zero and six, uh, a shooter that shoots four inches is going to hit a 10-inch plate, and guessing the wind to six miles an hour is probably not a skill set that most people can't pick up on relatively quickly. If not, Now, I'm not saying, like, the difference between 30 and 36 is going to be hard to determine, right, because uh, you've got a lot more wind and a lot more variables in angle and direction, but getting it within six miles an hour if the wind is, you know, 10 or less, you're probably going to be able to get it to within six miles an hour. So if you say, well, it's either zero or six miles an hour, you can bracket on a 10 inch target, zero miles an hour, uh, you know, on the, on the downwind side and six miles an hour on the upwind side. And for the most part, you're going to get all your impacts on that 10 inch plate if you're basing it on the average rifle craft data. Now you can skew that in your favor by picking a position where your shot group is under four inches. But again, you wanna make sure that under stress and under field conditions, using the equipment that you're going to be hunting with, you um, are, 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 are replicating those scenarios and taking into consideration your ability to, to read the wind. So the best way to read the wind, I think, is to go out and do wind tests. Now, you only get one shot per day, and if, and if you want more, you're going to have to completely change the direction and the angle that you're, reading, you're, you're doing it in. And I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit more maybe today and then maybe on future episodes, but it's hard to do. So the, but, but what I think you need to do is put out a huge-ass plate right around your, your gun number, maybe maybe 100 yards past it, maybe 100 yards inside it, but, but around the number of your gun. So if you're shooting a five-mile-an-hour gun and you go put out a 20-inch plate at 500 yards and you measure the center of the plate and you shoot and you say, okay, I'm, you know, I think the wind is six miles an hour, so you, you hold six-tenths right on the center of the plate and you're two-tenths from your aim point right, then you were two miles an hour off. So you know, okay, okay, I guessed it was, you know, I guessed it was six miles an hour. I held six tenths of the thing. And here I was two tenths off. So you note that, right? So you say, okay, well, it was actually eight. So I'm, I'm off by two miles an hour. And you repeat that over and over and over again. And you determine and when you do these wind tests, you also want to make sure that you're doing it from your best shooting ability because you do have to factor in uh, your shooting group size. So if you're doing it from a from not your from your best position, you know, to do 
three or four shots, you know, get a group and then take the average of that group uh, in, in, into consideration. But so you, you guessed it to six, you were off by two miles an hour. Great. You do that the next day, maybe you hit it at four. So you were off by two miles an hour. So now you got plus or minus two miles an hour. And then you go and one day it's a little bit higher. So you're off by three miles an hour and you get this data card of you going out and measuring your first shot wind call. Now you can't do that on every stage because the winds, um, you kind of have an idea what it is, right? And so you can hedge bets in your favor the more shots you take during the day. But you want to try to replicate your ability to guess the wind speed and then take that at your gun number's distance and start adding. And so let's say that a shooter goes out and they do this and they determine that they can get it within four miles an hour, right? So you take your four-inch group, right, your four-inch shooter number, and you add 0.4 on top of that four inches. Uh, and so at, at 400 yards, you've got, uh, you know, your group size plus um, 0.4, now, you want to marry that up to the kill zone size of the animal that you're hunting in. So let's say, for instance, you, I don't know what species uh, you're hunting, but, but what, what matters here is that you're trying to get a bracket where, let's say, statistically significant portion of your rounds, let's say 95% of your rounds are going to be within a specific um, uh, target size. And that's why the craft stuff is so important because the more you do it, the better you can have a statistical kind of understanding of your unknown position group size. So if you're shooting four inches uh, and, and you're shooting at 400 yards, that's 16 inches, right? So that's 16 inches with no wind plus, um, so that's, let's, uh, let's say that's... Um, 14, that's 1.4 mils approximately. I'm just kind of doing this, rounding it off in my head. So you nerds out there with your calculators and justifying everything. Uh, that way I know I'm going to be off a little bit, but I'm going to say 1.4 mils plus four tenths of, of wind. I'm going to say 1.8 mils. Now, 1.8 mils um, is your bracket size that you're shooting in, you know, around 400 yards. Or uh, let's say four tenths. I'm going to round that down because 0.36 doesn't really work. So I'm going to say 16 inches plus an MOA, right? So plus four inches. That's 20 inches. If the kill zone is 20 inches at 400, then at 400 yards, you could shoot at it. Does that make sense? I'm kind of like rambling on. But the reason I'm rambling on is that when you consider your wind reading ability and your unknown shooting ability, you're kind of defining the limits that you're able to knowingly hit. Now, it doesn't mean you can't shoot a 1MOA target at 1,000 yards every once in a while. We're not concerned with every once in a while getting an impact. What we're concerned is the possibility of missing the thing that you're aiming at. And the thing that you're aiming at on an animal doesn't, you know, they don't have tattoos or, or, or brands that define the kill zone. And a shot outside of the kill zone is what people consider unethical. And plenty of people make unethical shots. They shoot them in the gut, shoot them in the spine, shoot them in the, you know, whatever. I'm talking about the ability to say, okay, based on my knowledge of my shooting and the capabilities of my wind reading and my fitness and my equipment, I should probably keep my shots within this distance. So using this train of thought, if you're shooting something with a 20-inch kill zone and you have a 4-inch shooting group, 
right? Group, a craft number, not your freaking ballistics AE, look at the tight group that I hand-loaded that's .2. Uh, that's garbage, right? That says nothing about your shooting. Measured from your point of aim, the maximum outlying circle that, that will encompass your all of your shots, whether you had a flyer or an up shot or a down shot, however you want to justify that, your ability is defined by the shot that's the widest from your point of aim because that means that you could shoot at something and a bullet could go out there, right? If you did it once, you could do it again. That's why we work to bring our shot groups down in size and consistently across all positions, and we do it slowly and deliberately so that you can understand your influence on the rifle. Now, if a shooter, let's say that same shooter, four inches, so they got 12 inches at 300 yards, right? At 300 yards, um, it's not going to quite be 0.4 for their ability to be wind. It's going to be a little bit less than that, let's say three and a half. So now we got 15 and a half inches is their wind calling ability and their shooting ability. So 15 inches, now you're starting to get closer to some kill size of some big animals. But I still, you're probably not going to hit a prairie dog. Or, or I mean, people don't really, people shoot those, but they don't harvest the meat out of it. But let's say 15 inches. 15 inches to me seems like the size of a kill zone of an elk. Now, it might be 18, it might be 20, it might be 14. I, I don't, honestly, I don't know. I, I imagine it probably has something to do with the size of the animal itself and its anatomy. But you need to be able to determine that yourself. Now, somebody with their four-inch shooting group and their four-mile-an-hour wind-calling ability, I would probably tell them that 15 inches at 300 yards is going to be my predicted shot group ability. And so I'd probably tell them, you know, it's I wouldn't take a shot past 300 yards. And just saying that, setting those limits, not only does it improve their understanding of their shooting ability, but also proves the likelihood that they'll be able to get an elk and actually drop it and not have to follow its blood for four days and then have bears and wolves and shit like that eat it. But they're going to, you know, saying, okay, that, that, that elk out there is at 600 yards. We need to get 300 yards closer. And if we can't, then we probably shouldn't shoot. And you get 300 yards closer, maybe 200 yards closer. To me, I really like to be as close as possible because it's not interesting to me to take a long shot. It's interesting to me on an animal that has a choice in the matter to see how close you can get. I would prefer to shoot an elk at 30 yards than 300 yards because it's fun and exciting and it's part of the challenge for me. The shooting part's not the challenge for me, but the way I would define how I'm going to shoot and what I'm going to shoot at is going to be dictated by my craft number and my wind calling ability. And then do I have the technology that will allow me in the conditions that I'm at to understand ballistics at a distance? So if I'm out somewhere, let's say you drop me off with my 308 and you know I have my hand-loaded ammo or my factory ammo and I know I can shoot it well, but I don't have a Kestrel, so I don't know the DA. Let's say like somebody kidnapped me. Like there was that one TV show that was pretty freaking awesome, and I had daydreamed about like being on that show where they would um, dude you're screwed is what it's called, I think. And they would, they, you know, it was, it was a group of four friends or five friends, and occasionally they had a random weirdo that they would kidnap and drop somewhere off in the world, and they had you know however many days to get out, you know, with with whatever they had on them. And 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 I I always thought about that with Assassin's Way, like. You know, to me, that for me personally, the ultimate competition would be to put me into random parts of the world, uh, 
and make me be able to do whatever I can do in those parts of the world kind of without any preparation. Like, do I have the skills to, you know, climb anywhere in the world, swim anywhere in the world, hunt anywhere in the world, shoot? And I think that that, you know, to me is, is playing into my interest in skill sets. But if you drop me off anywhere in the world, but I didn't get a chance to get any environmentals or prepare at all or even know where I was, I wouldn't know what the DA was. And, and that's going to determine a lot of my ability to shoot a distance. Now, if we get somewhere and I have a bunch of ammo, I could take a shot and I could say, okay, well, you know, I know that that's that far away. And so I could reverse calculate my drop using, uh, you know, but, but, but that, that comes from knowing stuff and learning and understanding how to do that. But um, that also requires burning uh, a shot. Uh, and you, you'd probably want to do that anyway with a zero. I'm kind of getting off target here. But, but if I didn't have a way to, to check my DA, shooting at 300 yards isn't a big deal, right? I'm just going to shoot 300 yards. I'm going to hit stupid target. But, um, but if a person is hunting an elk and they have a four-inch shot group and a four-mile-an-hour wind-calling ability, I think they're probably going to be defined by 300 yards and in. Now, that doesn't mean it's not interesting or exciting. It could be fun, but it is saying, like, you know, here's, here's where your ability is. Now, if you want to bring that out, there's a couple ways to do it. One, you could get better at reading wind, but that's only going to do very, very small percentage gains for somebody that's shooting four inches, whereas... I think we could take a four-inch shooter and make him a two-inch shooter relatively quick. Now, there's a time and ammunition factor that, that goes into that, but I think that's well spent. That's money well spent because some some people are spending tens of thousands of dollars to go hunting. If we spend a few thousand dollars on ammunition, getting your shot group from four inches to two inches, and now most shooters are shooting between one and a half and two inches that are at the high end of competition. So I, I don't think it's realistic to tell shooters like, okay, we're going to get it sub two, but let's say two inches, you've basically doubled. Well, you almost doubled your effective distance. Now wind is going to be a big deal there, but you might be able to say that, um, you know, you could now ethically shoot to 500 yards or 550, um, or, or something like that. Now, once you're a very good shooter and you understand your shooting capabilities and you're able to shoot prone and you're able to do things like get a wind call shot, and, and do other things. Now you can increase that likelihood of getting a shot on target. But for, for many shooters, using their craft numbers and going out and doing simple wind speed tests can allow them to, in an educated manner, define what they are proving to themselves is their hard stop maximum distance. And I think that that's a positive and helpful way to look at it because it will empower you to say, we need to do something else in order for this to be a success. And, and, and I think that hitting it where you're aiming is a success, right? Not only does it, you know, qualify as an ethical shot, but it doesn't shoot it in the guts. It doesn't, you know, waste a bunch of meat, you know, by shooting it somewhere that you didn't intend to shoot it. It, 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 it relieves a lot of problems, associated with that with, with with not taking that good shot and it provides somebody the opportunity to educate themselves a little bit more and think about what they might need to do to get within 300 yards of an animal versus you know parking somewhere and saying like if I can see it I'm going to take a shot at it right and that's probably not the right way to approach this so to make a short story long using your craft number now I understand the craft number is not just a hard number as it's it's using a bunch of data from your shots 
to give you a quantifiable number. And that quantifiable number is bigger than you would expect because it uses factors of, you know, how many groups are there? Are there individual flyers? Does it look like your fundamentals are linear? Um, or, or the errors in your fundamentals, are, the, are they stacking? And so there's a lot of issues. The point of the craft number is that the smaller that number, the better. When you measure from point of aim out to your farthest group, you know, you, you want to double that, and that's kind of the zone that you're in. So if you have one shot that's two inches from your point of aim, right, that's a four-inch group, right, because you want to make a circle around your point of aim, and your bullets all fall within that. That's the shooter bracket. The shooter bracket is quantifiable. If you've subscribed to Riflecraft, it calculates the shooter bracket for you, and we're working on ways to put in wind speed prediction. That's a part of the Riflecraft USA assessment. If you fly out to Colorado here, we do a two-day assessment with over 180 shots, and we will give you a quantifiable printout of your capabilities, and you could use that to determine your ability to shoot in various environments and scenarios using data that's much more informative and specific, but it requires a lot of shots in order for that stuff to be significantly um, hashed out, statistically significant, and understand, you know, how to wrap your head around shooting off of or on or in conditions and scenarios that you may not have accounted for. We're going to do that and try to provide you with a sheet and a data set for how to improve the most understanding where your strengths are and your weaknesses and how to bridge those gaps. But that requires one-on-one -on -one testing. And you can kind of do a version of that for yourself by going out every day that you go out, take that first shot and measure it. You want to do that at distance. You want to do it around the, your gun number's distance. Measure the deviation from your point of aim and factor that into your group size, right? Your, your craft number, your shooter bracket, and start to determine your one shot, you know, and two shot capabilities within a particular size target. I think to me, approaching that for hunting will increase success rates and it'll increase how you approach getting close to an animal and setting up for a shot and uh, ultimately being successful in those endeavors. And you can test that out at an NRL hunter match. Take your equipment, go. You can sign up as a non-competitive participant it doesn't cost much and it allows you to shoot 18 to 20 stages testing your ability to call the wind to hit a target within you know the distance that you'll be ethically shooting at you can chart your hit percentage you can chart your wind calling ability and you can be much more educated and informed about your ability to go out and have a successful hunt this would apply to sniping this would account to you know SWAT people this would account to you know, any nefarious or any great, I mean, whatever you're going to use a rifle for, that knowledge and understanding and being able to prove it on paper and quantify it will improve your confidence and your ability to successfully accomplish whatever that particular goal is, knowing that when you pull the trigger, you know where the bullet's going to go or, you know, in the zone that you're going to go into, right? Now, um, you know, I was joking around with Travis Sashida at the NRL finale. He said, hey, you know, who could hit a mile offhand? I said, shit, I can hit a mile offhand. There was a huge cliff, you know, an 800-foot cliff about a mile away. He didn't say where I had to hit, just the fact that you could hit it. Like, you can hit something a mile away, right? If you hold your gun up in the air, you could shoot a mile offhand right now with basically any firearm you have. But being able to put that bullet in a 
determined a predetermined size area, right, on a predetermined target, that takes skill and knowledge. And that skill and knowledge is on the shooter to understand and take ownership of. We're trying to give you those resources and capabilities, but it's very important that you practice and you go collect that data so that you can understand, you know, credibly, you know, if I need to shoot an elephant offhand, you know, how big is its kill zone and how far do I have to be to, to know when it's when it's time to take that shot, I am going to hit it where I need to hit it. Or if I'm going to shoot a chipmunk, you know, how close do I have to be in order to hit that chipmunk's kill zone? Or I guess with a chipmunk, you just hit it anywhere because of cavitation and stuff, just like uh, prairie dogs. But, but when it comes down to actually delivering a shot that has to go where you need it to go. It's good to understand the distance, the maximum distance that you're able to do that all the time, right? Or 95% of the time, if we're talking statistics, I think defining your maximum distance and then occasionally going back and seeing as you improve, now where's your maximum distance in those conditions? That's empowering and exciting. And it starts to allow us to think outside the box in terms of new ways to test it and new ways to look for data and apply that stuff, right? Because, you know, looking at ballistics and, and loading and powder and all this other garbage, this very linear, factual, um, you know, hard data and justifying your shooting based on that is not only is it inappropriate and irresponsible, it's ludicrous, right? Because you're, you're, you're saying that you can do something, you know, it's like if Superman changed his cape color and he went faster, like that, that you would somehow be able to fly faster with that cape color. Like that's fucking garbage, right? The, the, it, it's garbage to base all of your um, goals on external ballistic databases because 99% of the shooting is you and your capability and shooters just aren't shooting at the level of their systems. And so we need to turn everything around and start looking at ourselves as the people that are responsible for the outcomes, hit or miss, and work towards improving our hit percentage. And not only, you know, is it fun to go to competitions and fun to go shoot targets and have fun and do things that, that, that cause us to miss and ask us why we missed, but it's also good to know where's the distance that I'm going to hit for sure all the time, no matter what, you know, under various conditions. And, and how fast can I do it? And then, uh, you know, can I do it breathing heavy and after moving a long distance and so on and so forth? So think about that. Think about how you would determine your maximum ethical hunting range as determined by, right, you go shoot groups, take your biggest outlier, measure the distance to the aiming point, right, double it, Measure your wind speed reading capability and tack that on and figure out where 95% of your hits would go and what the wind speed would be, right? And start thinking about that is, oh, wow. You might, you might say like, wow, you know, my cartridge has enough energy to ethically hunt to 900 yards. Chances are that you can't ethically hunt at 450 yards, right? So instead of thinking just about your cartridge's capabilities, think about your own capabilities as trying to creep towards the cartridge's capabilities. 
if we do it that way, we're going to get better, we're going to educate people better, and we're going to grow faster. And it'll be pretty exciting because then you've got a carrot that you could chase and a goal that you can chase that is tangible that you can set goals and mile markers towards and, and then achieve the success that you were working towards in a way where you can have that confidence and not come back from a hunt and go, oh, man, yeah, I don't know. It just came time, and I don't know where the shot went, you know, five or six feet over it maybe or five or six, you know, who you hear about stories like that, and it's like, holy crap. Like, we could have eliminated that very, very quickly and, and got you to, if you were ready to take a shot, know that you're going to hit it for sure. Right, or 95% of the time. Anyway, if you like this, uh, this was a deviation. I was going to talk about the, the team uh, from, from inside the team at the last match, but then I realized, like, man, it's kind of cool to talk about. And at this point, people are starting to talk about and get tags. Uh, they're hunting stuff. They're making hunting plans, and, and uh, hunting season comes up pretty quickly. Think about what you're shooting at. Does it have a 12-inch kill zone, 8-inch, 16-inch, 18-inch, 30-inch kill zone? Uh, hunting a T-Rex, um, I, who knows? But think about your uh, craft number and your wind reading ability number, and then think about if you stack those, realistically, what's your maximum ethical hunting, hunting distance? And if I'm thinking about this wrong, then I would love to hear from you. You could email me directly at chrisrway at gmail.com. You can message me on Instagram, you can message me on Facebook, and those are the three best ways to get a hold of me. And um, if you want to support this and anything else associated with it, go to RifleCraft.com and get a subscription. The subscription not only gives you your shooter bracket, but we're layering in ways for you to record down and log your wind reading ability. And we're going to start putting the metrics that we will be testing at the unconventional shooting assessment the event where you come to us and we test you one-on-one -on -one over 180 rounds across two days on very various metrics to be able to determine your wind reading capability, your shot group stability at various positions, speed, your ability to locate targets, range them, your ability to move between positions, remember various components that are involved in shooting, your ability to shoot holding over, dialing. You'll be using your rifle, but you'll also be using my rifles, and, and um, you'll be making calls for us to have additional data points so that we could not only have your shooting into it, but then some of your observation skills. You'll be observing and calling what we did exactly, which may or may not be on purpose, so that you could give us that data and we'll quantify what you saw versus what we did and vice versa so that you can have a detailed printout of your capabilities with a rifle system, not to compare to other people, but to compare to hard standards so that you can have knowledge and power to either go hunting, to go you know, shooting, to go to competition, and that knowledge provides the foundation from which you will build your success story, right? I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Anybody could achieve anything in rifle shooting at this point because most of the points that are lost are just technical things that people can practice if they get an understanding of what they're doing and how to improve. 
right? You could win the PRS. I think a, you could take a new shooter. It might maybe be more than a year, but I bet like somebody who's never picked up a bolt gun could probably win the PRS in two years with the right training and education. So we're trying to build the groundwork in order to start proving that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, hopefully, you know, it starts with you coming out to do the Riflecraft unconventional skills assessment or just logging your targets and listening to the podcast, going out and testing stuff on your own. You have to have data and you start with your skills and then build upon your skills. So until then, go subscribe, riflecraft.com and share and do all that great stuff. And uh, don't forget to go to the range. <laughs>